Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Well, good morning again. We'll give a couple of preliminary uh, statements as we begin this series. And I want to start with those of you who are our very first-time guests this morning. Um, This is not how we typically conduct a Sunday morning message, uh, but we thought we would do, I thought we would do something a little bit differently uh, for a few weeks. And, uh, and so what we're going to be doing is looking through the Scriptures. As a church, one of, one of our values is that, that Scripture, you know, God's Word, should be not just um, a, a guide or inspiration, but it should be relevant for our everyday practical life. And so what we've been doing is, is asking over the last couple of weeks uh, questions that, uh, that you may have, uh, what does the Bible say about? Uh, and, and you're free to say whatever the question is that you would like to hear the Bible speak relevantly into. Uh, and so I have received many, 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 many emails, uh, all of which are serious, and I appreciate that. But I've been able to put them into pockets because there are many that have the same questions. It's the same questions over and over. And so that's, this, what this means is, is that we all have similar questions about what does the Bible speak in this specific area of life. And so uh, today I'm going to not only have an opportunity to share uh, with you an answer to one of those questions... Uh, but it is, over the last couple of years, the most pressing question that has been asked of me at all. And so it just happened to also be asked as a part of this series. And so when I say what the question is, which I'm not going to give you a list, because your minds are already going to be made up on some of them, and you won't come those Sundays. I already know that. Uh, and so each week, what I'm going to try to do is not to give you my opinion, but to place inside of our DNA the ability to study for relevancy, to be able to understand God's Word by principle as well, and and to be able to, to, as Scripture itself says, to work out our own convictions with fear and trembling, right? And so we ought to be confident. And I'm, I want to say this, maybe I'll say it every week. I'm not sure yet. Depends on how alert you get when I say it. You should not take my word for it. My word does not supersede God's word. And so we ought to be people of the word that can discern truth from error in our own study of Scripture. So what I want to do, though, is to kind of share some tools with you that I incorporate in order to discern what God's will may be. We're going to do that if we have time uh, a little bit uh, today. In Romans chapter 14, verse 23, you can turn there if you'd like. It is a great launching verse. Uh, At least the second part of the verse is for this entire series, but... In Romans chapter 14, verse 23, the very end of the verse, Paul tells the church at Corinth, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So if it does not come from our faith, 
It is sin. Now that's a pretty heavy statement uh, to mull over, but your faith is not built by what I say. What we have learned over the last few months and even years is that the Holy Spirit is what builds our faith, not our information. Our faith belongs down here. Our faith is our behaviors. So whatever does not come into our life in such a way that is a guiding force, a, 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 a faith a belief system is what helps us to make decisions. If it does not flow from permission from God or from a conviction that we have, then we need to be very, very careful. Because what one person believes concerning their faith and another person believes concerning their faith, they may not find agreement. Because God is using all of us to, to do different things. And we all don't share the same convictions. I don't think we like that because we, as a church, and certainly as a movement, and I think modern day Christianity is the chief offender when it comes to this, is we're not looking for brothers and sisters. We're looking for twins. And I think we have to be very, very careful about that. So again, hear me very, very carefully. We all will not share the same convictions. Now, there's a difference between what God is speaking into us and out of us by way of practical application and thus saith the Lord. We ought to share thus saith the Lord. Absolute commands are very, very easy to find and able to, uh, and very easy for us to apply. But there's a lot of Scripture that speaks by implication or where Scripture does not speak at all. So whatever does not come from faith is sin. So at the end of this message, I'm going to give you a little tool that I use that will help us to make sure that everything that we do or think or process comes from faith, lest we live in error. So today is, what does the Bible say about cremation? Cremation. I get asked this a lot, and... Uh, I'm kind of anxious to get this one behind us. It's really kind of hard to find worship songs about cremation. You can ask Chris. Uh, it's really hard to draw personal application to that as well. But I'm going to use it as a launching place because at the end we're going to process uh, through a couple of questions that we ought to be asking. Well, so here's uh, what does the Bible say about cremation? Nothing. Let's stand for prayer. <laughs> yeah, so the scriptures don't say anything about any required modes of burial for believers. Now, I will say then, standard practice for the Old Testament and in the New Testament was burial. And I'm not going to get into a whole lot of the history of cremation versus burial, but when you look at the way that the people of God incorporated modes of uh, disposal of the, uh, the body uh, was almost always in 
burial. By far and away the most common type. Now, there, is, there are a couple of stories in the Old Testament where we find cremation. Uh, Saul and Jonathan, for instance, uh, this was the first king of Israel and his son, David's best friend. They both were cremated, but they were cremated by the Israelites after their deaths because the Philistines had come in and desecrated the bodies. And they knew that this was dishonoring, the desecration of the body was dishonoring. And to eliminate the ability for them to continue to desecrate the body, they burned their bodies so that they would no longer have access to them. If you remember Achan and his family, Achan was uh, one of the, uh, uh, the members of one of the tribes of Israel. And uh, he, he stole some things that he shouldn't have stole uh, uh, actually pillaged uh, some, some things that, that uh, kept him buried him in his own tent. Uh, Moses was able to expose Achan's sin. And the Bible says that, that God commanded Moses and all of the Israelites to go in and get Achan and all of his family. And they were stoned to death. And then they were cremated. And they were burned uh, there together. Now... We also know that these stories, and there's only a faint couple of other ones uh, that we can find in Scripture where people were, were cremated or burned, uh, they are certainly the exceptions and not the common practice of the Israelites. So when we realize that, that all bodies eventually decompose, a body that is cremated is no worse off. You find in Genesis chapter 3 that the Lord said Adam is actually created out of the what? Dust of the earth. And he tells Adam from ashes to ashes and dust to dust. That's the whole thing, right? Now that sin has entered into the human condition, this is what's going to happen. We are going to die physically and we are going to decompose to go back into the matter that we originated from. Job says the same thing, ashes to ashes and dust to dust from that which I came and we go back to. And so we know that a body that is burned immediately turns to ashes. A body that decomposes slowly in the ground turns to ashes. What difference does it make? Of course, we know that God is going to give us new glorified bodies, whether they have been buried, burned, beheaded, or drowned. So that's one of the things that I think we ought to walk away knowing that maybe not what we believe about cremation, but what do we believe about the body after death? That, I think, is a better question than cremation question. Because the only reason we're talking about cremation is because it is skyrocketing in preference uh, in today's world. You know, there's a lot of countries who have always practiced uh, cremation, uh, primarily even. Uh, America has not been one of those countries, but about, about 38% of funerals today are uh, involving cremation. And that's a, a pretty, pretty stark increase uh, over the last hundred years. One of the positives of burial uh, is that it does seem to picture Christ's own death, burial, and resurrection. 
which is a uh, meaningful in describing our new bodies. And we find that in Romans chapter 6, and then again in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're not going to look at all of these passages of Scripture, but we are going to, uh, I want you to go back and study them for yourself. But one of the things that I want you to say is when it comes to the mode of burial or the body after death, the Bible is silent about God's preferences. Okay, so just because Israel buried does not mean that's God's favorite way. It's just the way they did it. Uh, and also, just because the pagan kings cremated does not mean that God's against it. It's just the way that they operated. If how we treat the body after death were such a big a deal, I think God would have told us what His preferences are. And He doesn't. He seems to leave it to our own hearts and our own desires. And so what I want to do over the course of this message is to simply break down a few things so that we can make that decision based on our convictions and our beliefs, not based on our cultural practices. I think it is very, very dangerous for us to make decisions based on what is growing or not growing in popularity in the world. So it's a great question. How we experience death and what we do with the body does speak to what we believe about the body, both living and what happens to the body after that. Cremation, dust to dust, very, very quickly. It keeps the ashes close as a symbol of the person's presence. And so when you think about that, I know a lot of people prefer cremation and they, I don't mean this to be offensive at all, so just, you know, I'm not stopping to pause on how everybody has processed their own lives. But when, when you have uh, the, the ashes of someone that you loved close to you, you kind of feel their presence. And I think that speaks to what we believe about life after death. And we have to be very, very careful because the decisions we make speak to what we believe. Is a person... The sum of their ashes? Of course not. We are body, soul, and spirit. Our body and our soul are separated from God, and our, certainly our spirit is even dead. When God resurrects our spirit and we begin to trust Jesus Christ, that begins to inform our mind, our soul, and that begins to inform our physical body. We begin to make different decisions physically. And so while we experience death, we believe, Christians believe, that our spirit is immediately removed from that body and is in the presence of the Lord. Whatever that means, we're not going to talk about that today, but we are in the presence of the Lord. But we also believe that a time is going to come when our spirits will return with Christ in His second coming, and our bodies, in whatever case they may be, are going to experience a bodily resurrection like His resurrection, and our bodies, in whatever case they may be, or, or form they may find themselves in, are going to be resurrected and meet our spirits where we will face final judgment and our physical bodies will be judged and we will be glorified if we are in Christ and we will be forever damned if we are not. But our bodies will live forever. Glorified to be with Jesus or we will experience eternal damnation in hell. We believe this wholeheartedly. 
So much so that we have begun practices about life after death in our own physical bodies. It's not an accident that for generations, and most of us know this, that when you go to a, if the cemetery has very much age on it at all, all of the tombstones face east. Why? Because Jesus is returning from the east. And so when these bodies come up, we don't want to have to be turning around. We want to be facing Him, right? You ever wonder why funerals are called gardens? Because our great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfathers believed that they were planting the body in the ground and it was going to produce fruit one day. A resurrected body. Now, when you begin to think about these ancient practices of a cemetery even, we'll talk about that in, in a few moments, we begin to recognize that, oh my goodness, these people believe so much in the bodily resurrection that they cared for the body in such a way as to tell the next generation, we're expecting a bodily resurrection. And then we recognize that the body is decomposing so quickly, we're going to start, the Egyptians started this practice with a 60-foot long stretch of cloth, begin to mummify bodies. Now, they didn't do it the same reason that Christians begin to mummify and embalm bodies. But we figured that we are so convinced that the body is going to resurrect one day, we don't want the Lord to have to work one single ounce more than He has to in order to get our body back to working condition. Now, honestly, that's silly. But that's why we do it. And so the body will decompose much more slowly. But it's inevitable. Now, I'm going to be a little bit opinionated, all right? There is a lot of money in the funeral business. You go to some states and they make requirements about how you're going to dispose of the body, and it is expensive. So there's something to be said about 200 years ago an old pine box. This seems to be the absolute best because it is quick decomposition and it speaks very, very much to the anticipation of the bodily resurrection. But we can't do that anymore. We're mummifying, we're embalming, we're placing it in a vacuum-sealed hole with a vault all the way around it. You go to some places, I mean, it's like we really expect Jesus to come back and we want to give him the perfect illustration of what this person was before they passed. Now, when we begin to, and I, I'm not going to get into a whole lot of preferences here, or opinions, I'm trying I'm try to avoid opinions, <clears throat> but when you think about keeping the ashes of someone near to you or on some sort of display, this seems to imply that the person is still present. Well, that, that's wrong, okay? There is not a chance from our faith that the dead is in any way connected to this reality. 
Now, this is very important for us to understand because a lot of our heresy starts speaking into the, I want my grandmother to be able to see me. I want my mom. I want to feel close to that. I want my whatever, it, whoever it may be that was important to me to be, I want them to feel close to me. And so we need this to be true. And so we keep their, the most, we can't keep their spirit here. We can't keep their soul here. But we can keep their ashes here. And that's dangerous because they're not here. They're not here. If we truly believe that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, then we know for certain to honor ashes is it going in the wrong direction. We're not trying to preserve the body because, uh, the, because the spirit is still aware and there's an aura or a... This, this is dangerous. One of the questions that was not asked, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead, and i got a few minutes, I think, uh, to spare. One of the questions that wasn't asked that I may answer in more detail if you're interested, you can ask it. Uh, but we have to be very careful when you start thinking that people's spirits are still here. You know, we start pretty quickly getting into ghosts and we can start smelling things, smelling cologne or perfume and seeing things move and... We can start experiencing these things when we believe that there's a chance that the spirit is still close. And we call them disembodied spirits. Well, the Old Testament actually speaks to this. It's called familiar, familiar. Boy, where am I from? Familiar, familiar how can you say it? Familiar spirits. And these are, these are, now listen, this is a little bit creepy, but we're talking about cremation. What do you expect? Uh, these, these familial, familial, <laughs> familiar spirits are actually demons who have been around since they were cast out of heaven. Now listen, here's the thing about it. We know that they are not in this reality they're not based in this reality. They're based in a spiritual reality. We also know that they are very much active in this reality. They also know that if they can make your belief system about the afterlife heretical, blasphemous, they're going to do it. And if you don't think Satan can masquerade, which means to change his form, right? These demons, I know you don't like this, but these demons can actually take the form of things that are familial. What in the world? I've never struggled with this. Familiar to you. And they will manifest themselves that way and make you think that that spirit is close and that it is familiar to you. And then all of a sudden, you begin to gravitate toward the dead until, and instead of the resurrection. The Old Testament talks about it. In fact, God told Moses that anybody who interacts with the dead, speaks to the dead, talks to the dead, gets advice from the dead, if you are dealing with the disembodied spirits, you're to be cut off and stoned to death. That's how serious God takes it. So our belief about demonism, our territorial spirits... Our belief about what happens to the spirit at death is very, very important because it informs us about what to believe about the resurrection that is to come for us. 
So when we experience cremation and we say, I want you to take me to a beautiful place and scatter my ashes on the beach or scatter my ashes in the mountains. Again, if you've done that or been a part of that, whatever comes from faith is either right or wrong. So if you're not operating in that, I'm not, this is not a sin issue, but I think it speaks the wrong thing like this person is going to be able to see where they are disposed of or experience the gentle ocean breeze, or experience the beautiful mountain view. That's true of cremation. That's also true of beautiful burial spots. They're not there. They'll never be there. And when we begin to realize that, then we're actually free to focus on eternity, not our burial plots. You ever hear people say things about uh, people who have, who have passed and we say, well, I hope they rest in peace. For what? From what? We're with the Lord already. Now, if we're Christians, we are at peace in the presence of God, not at rest. And if we are not with the Lord, there is no peace. Now, another thing that we have to be very careful about in cremation is to dispose of the body in such a way as cremation implies that it is nothing more than trash and it is useless. And we have to be very careful about it because we do not believe that at all. We do believe in a bodily resurrection. It is not trash. It will be restored, redeemed, and glorified. Now, if you suffer from claustrophobia and the thought of being buried in a pine box six feet in the ground brings you worry and you say, I mean, there's some of you right now taking deep breaths. I'm telling you, this is why phobias are on the rise and so is cremation. I'm telling you, I think it's a huge part here. So if you can't fathom that and you're choosing cremation in its place, let me, let me just simply say this, okay? You are not there. But I have claustrophobia and I struggle with it. So with burial, we have the preservation of the body for the resurrection. And uh, again, we have to be very careful what we're saying in our lives. What we're saying in our death says a whole lot about what we are expecting to come next. Uh, in the uh, Israelites in the Old Testament, they obviously uh, preferred burial much different than ours. This came much later. Uh, burial in the ground, you know, is catacombs or caves or cutouts in stone, whatever the case may have been. The Babylonians came along and they buried their dead and, and uh, they actually cremated them and then buried them in these ornate funerary urns. Uh, so did the Greeks and so did the Romans and Hebrews in later time actually did the same thing. But when you say Hebrews in the New Testament, Hebrews or Jewish people are not Christians. 
Christians will want to show a respect for the body, even though the essential person, the spirit, uh, whether it's alive or dead, I'm talking about in Christ, has moved already on to an eternal destiny. So let me, uh, let me move on through here. Uh, I, I'm going to say this. At the resurrection of Jesus Christ, or not the resurrection of Jesus, at the resurrection of the body, at the second coming of Christ, it will not make any difference to whether you chose burial or cremation. I'm telling you, he spoke light into existence. I am pretty sure he can put together puzzles. All right. I mean, you think about all of the people who were decomposed in the ocean. That ain't cremation. That, to me, seems a whole lot worse. You think about people at 9-11 who there's nothing left. I mean, they were evaporated. How in the world is God? He can. He did it the first time. Out of nothing, He created. So whether or not you choose cremation or whether you choose to be buried at sea or buried in the earth, it will make no, no difference in the second, at the second coming of Jesus Christ. It also will not make any difference where you spend eternity. What I mean by that is no matter how you are buried, what will matter is how you lived for Jesus Christ. That's what matters. Not how you are buried, but how you lived. And how you live will inform how you were buried. So I think it's fair for us to say that because Scripture is so silent on it, I think it does lean pretty heavily toward burial, but that doesn't make it right just because of the majority of the time it speaks to that. God Himself does not speak to this. Did you know that the practice of burial, though, is so closely identified to Christians is that uh, anthropologists throughout Europe can track the spread of the Christian faith westward in Europe by looking at the spread of cemeteries. Where Christianity spread, cemeteries begin to evolve all over the world. I think that says something, although it doesn't make it right or wrong. I think it does give us permission, though. So, here's what I want to say as we bring this to a, this part of it to a close. We can say with certainty that Christ is going to come again and that our bodies are going to be raised again, never to die again. And so, our message in our burial must tell those who come after us what we personally believed about life to come. And if your faith can allow cremation to tell that part of the story, then your faith gives you freedom to do that. If your faith does not, and you think burial is the only way, then you do that. But I don't think, this, I don't think Scripture comes right out and says, if it's right or wrong, it comes out and says, nah, tell your story. Be careful the story you tell, though. Be careful of the story you tell. So take out your pen and paper, and I'm going to give you a list of, uh, well, it's a tool. I'll just call it that, all right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13, obviously talking about a living body, the body is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. 
He also says, so glorify God in your body. What I want you to know is in this passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Now, you know, that's, that's true while we breathe. Whom you have from God, you are not your own. You are bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. This tells us four things. Number one, our body is God's dwelling. Number two, our body is God's purchase. Number three, our body is God's possession. And number four, our body is God's glory. So what we choose to do at the end of this life says a lot about those things. Paul even said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, that he hoped to magnify Christ in my body, whether by my life or by my death. Again, I don't think that speaks to burial or cremation. I think it speaks to that what we do with the body matters to God. Okay, so this is how we can know for sure. And we're going to put this particular test to test over the next few weeks. I want to read to you a passage of Scripture first. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14-17. through 17. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore all have died, and he died for all. And those who, might, who, those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. So, here is, uh, here's some questions we ought to ask ourselves to determine. Does this come from faith or does this come from my own desire? Number one is the proclamation test. So write that out, the proclamation test. You might already have this uh, somewhere. Proclamation test simply says, has God already proclaimed this to be wrong? That one is super simple. Now, you'd better be in the Word in order to be able to know that. But has God said it's wrong? The second test is called the principle test. The principle test says, is it forbidden in God's Word by principle? So it may not be, you know, no, no fancy footwork around issues that by principle it's pretty clear what God wants if He didn't expressly say, Thou shalt not be cremated. What about principle? The third test is called the partnership test. That's pretty easy. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, it says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The partnership test says, can I invite Jesus into this place with me? I guess the, the, I guess the better question would be, would he come? I guess you can invite him. But. Number four, the presence test. This is in Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. Paul said, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether in my life or my death. This test says this, Would I be ashamed to be found doing this when Jesus returns? I guess the older you get, maybe some of you can amen this a little bit. The older you get when you do things, you're like, is this how I want people to find my dead body? 
You know what I mean? Anybody? Anybody? I mean, would they be able to know what I was really doing? Or are they going to have some weird story as to what in the world was he doing? Number five is the purity test. And this is incredibly important. Whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the what? Glory of God. The purity test says, is there any glory for God in it? Or, or maybe even a better question is, can I honestly ask God to bless this? Purity test. And number six, this is the final test, but not the last question. The peace test. The peace test, which is, we've already read in Romans 14. This test asks, after praying about it, do I have the least bit of doubt that it is God's approval? Now, I have found that in most things, these six tests can help us make decisions based on convictions and faith. But even then, sometimes there are a little gray areas. And so I want to give you some more questions. So write these quickly and we'll get, we'll get through them quickly. A lot of people already know what they want to be true. And so, you know, we're looking for permission in God's Word. We're not, we're not looking for truth. We're looking for permission. And that's very dangerous. Can I or can't I is a very not, I shouldn't say very not, it is not a very Christian mature question. But here's, here's the first one. Are you willing to do what is right once you know God's will. And listen, if you're not, if you're committed to do what you want without, regardless of God's will, uh, He probably is not going to answer that question. So you have to be committed to do what's right, even if it's not what you want. Number two, in fact, uh, let's go to Acts chapter 5, verse 29, when Peter and John are being you know, prosecuted and persecuted for preaching. And Peter said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Number two, does it agree with everything Scripture has to say on the matter? This kind of correlates to another question that was asked, so I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail on this, but how many times does the Scripture have to say something for us to know for sure it's true? One time. So when, when Scripture speaks on something multiple times, it's pretty easy for us to, by principle, figure out what God is really trying to say. Number three, have you prayed about it and found resolution? Have you prayed all the way through it? Number four, do you have the leading of the Holy Spirit? The next one uh, is in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, and it says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. You know, you can do the right thing and not please God if you do it with a rebellious spirit. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. A whole lot of Christians have fallen in line with the Christian lifestyle. But they don't live it by faith. We live it up here. We don't live it down here. So, this question would say, does it please God is my faith being exercised 
to obedience. The next question is, can you ask for it in prayer and ask for it in the name of the Lord Jesus? The next question, I'm almost finished, be patient. Can you give God thanks for it and celebrate the answer with Him? Next question. Does it bring glory to God? Does your exercising of your freedom, does it bring glory to God? Now we start getting into some personal things. Here's the next question. Does it offend other Christians? And the answer is always yes. Because Christians are the most easily offended people in the world. So does it offend other Christians? Let's, let's, let's clarify that a little bit. Does it offend mature Christians who are disciple makers? People who truly, truly are looking for God's glory. And, and, and by the way, well, I'll get to that one. Uh, am I fully persuaded it's right? We've already talked about that one. Am I fully persuaded it's right? James chapter 4 verse 17 is a really good verse on this. Whosoever knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is a sin. And then the last one, and this is, I, I use James chapter 5 verse 16 for this. Uh, and I think it's a very important verse, but it's, do the best Christians I know, and I absolutely hate talking about the best Christians. I'm talking about the people who are in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ and they look more and more like Him as they develop with Him. All right. So do the Christians that I admire or respect or know are sincere, sincerely expressing their faith, do they agree that it is right or wrong? So James chapter 5 says that we should confess our faults or our sins to one another. And I think that's a good verse because the more open we are at living out our convictions together and wrestling with our convictions together, being informed by other brothers and sisters what the Holy Spirit is saying to us collectively is very, very important. So I want to bring all of that to a close. When it comes to what happens to the body after death, just honor it. You can honor the body in cremation. Sometimes it is the honoring thing to do. I think one of the things that we have to deal with, or at least mention, is sometimes the wishes of your family ought to supersede your own. They're the ones who are going to be there afterwards, are going to have to deal with that. I promise you, at your last breath, you could care less. That comes from belief or faith. Completely unaware. You will be completely unaware of what happens to your body. We either believe it or we don't. So, we ought to consider what our family feels about it. We should talk to our family about it. We should have the dialogue about it. But here's, what, here's, here's how I want to sum this message up. When we open up the Scripture, you're going to hear this a lot over the next few weeks, but when we open the Scripture up, the question for the Christian is not, can I or can't I? The question is, where is there the greatest glory for God? 
Because there's a whole lot of questions that we can ask that, yeah, I can. God gives me permission to do this or that. And other Christians disagree with that, but I feel like God is okay with this. The question is, it can I, listen, I'm going to be very, very frank for just a second. Immature Christians open the Scripture to find out what they can or cannot do. Immature Christians. Mature Christians say in their life, where is there the greatest chance of the most glory for God? Where does God receive the most glory? And we ought to be encouraging that in one another's life. To make decisions so that God is glorified in this world and in the next. With every decision that we make. So let's encourage one another. And, uh, and let's pray together. Lord, we are so grateful that, that we have your word that guides us. And sometimes it is silent. And it's silent occasionally about things that we really want a yes or no from you. But it's in times like this where we're able to work out our faith to where you can receive the most glory. So today we've looked barely at cremation. And, uh, and we see, Lord, that if we choose cremation, it's to glorify you. If we choose burial in the ground, it's to glorify you. So Lord, teach us to use our story where you may receive the most glory. We do believe, Lord, and we declare today that we believe in the bodily resurrection and we know that you are returning again for us and that whatever state we find ourselves in at that moment, we will be glorified to be like you. So Lord, I pray that our life would testify to that and I pray that our death would testify to that. But Lord, this morning I pray for those that may be here this morning that have not experienced the restoration of their spirit back to you. They're lost in sin. And and this life is the only heaven that they'll know. Because at the very moment of death, our lives are completely cut off from the ability to give you any glory at all. In fact, from your presence. So Lord, I pray that while we live, we will make much of Jesus. We will find Him and we will live in Him and He in us. So that you may receive the greatest glory from our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.